This morning's reading is uh, from John 3, verses 1 to 15. It's page 1649 in the large print Bibles and 1065 in the regular pew Bibles. So John 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this privilege of listening to the words of Jesus. And we pray that from this encounter with Nicodemus, you would speak to us today. We ask in his name. Amen. There's one phrase that, as I was preparing this, jumped out for me. I don't know if it does for you, but it's the phrase that Jesus says, and the theme comes again and again in these verses, you must be born again. And I think as we look at that, whether it's a phrase we've heard before or whether it's new to us, we need to do what's called some word laundry. Uh, to wash a word and get its meaning back again. Because the word must is a word that I think has sort of lost its strength in today's world. So I looked up the must-have gadgets for 2020, and there are apparently a list of 100 of them. I won't bore you with all 100. But the top three that caught my eye were these three must-have gadgets. If 2020 is going to be the year that we all hope it will be, the first is a dog tracker so that when you've lost your dog, you know where to find it. I think by the time you've lost your dog, it's too late, isn't it? Um, But anyway, you must have a dog tracker. The second is you must have an underwater speaker, Bluetooth, whatever, whatnot, underwater speaker. Has anyone got one of those? Uh, (laughs) 2020 will be the year for a Neil. But I guess most of us are thinking, actually, we can do without that. Now, here's the third one that really caught my eye was a 
a toothbrush that you simply have to bite, and 10 seconds later, your teeth are completely clean. Has anyone got any of those? No, no, <laughs> good. Uh, but uh, these are the must-have gadgets. But as soon as we're saying that, we actually realize that we can, most of us, cope fine without them. But there are other ways that we use this word must. We say, well, I really must get some more exercise in 2020. And we don't mean must at all. We think we'd like to say it so that we show willing. And uh, it probably would be good for us, but the reality is we'll probably cope without it, even if we've started the year with a New Year's resolution. Sorry if you've not managed to keep it. Or maybe here's a, a, an even more dangerous use of the word must. Uh, perhaps we say to each other, we really must meet up again soon, but don't get the diary out. Do we really mean must or not? So that's why what I was aiming to do this morning, but I'm afraid I didn't, was to bring a big washing machine here and unravel it with great aplomb and then put the word must in and then pull it out. Must means must. And as Jesus says, you must be born again. This matters. We need to think. Why did he say that? What does that mean for us? I wonder whether you'll turn with me back to John chapter 3. And we're looking at a series of people who encountered Jesus. We looked at John the Baptist last week from the later part of this chapter. We're going back a few verses to look at Nicodemus today. Thinking about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And we will pick up a bit later on a couple of other times that Nicodemus appears in John's Gospel. Interesting. But look at the drama that is building here, even in these opening verses. Page 1065, John chapter 3. Nicodemus has come a really long way to meet with Jesus. A long way, not geographically or spatially, but he has come a long way spiritually. Look at who he is. Who was Nicodemus? Well, we see straight away he was a man of the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus spent every day in the heart of opposition to Jesus. You see, he was called one of the Pharisees. They are the extreme religious people. They are really concerned about outward appearances. They want everything to look right. They want themselves to look right. They're not so worried about the inside, and they are really opposed to Jesus. So for Nicodemus to be coming to Jesus is a big thing. He's not just a Pharisee. He's also a member of the ruling council, so that would have been an inner elite. He's a really big figure, and interestingly, he comes at night, probably because he doesn't want to risk his own reputation. He doesn't want people to know that he's coming. He's coming in secret to meet with Jesus. He's come a long way to come one-to-one -to, -one to talk with Jesus. And if you look at his opening words, it seems as if he genuinely admits that Jesus must be from God. He sees that Jesus is an authentic teacher. That's a big admission for a Pharisee. But we'll see in a moment he's still got a long way to go. So that's something of who Nicodemus is. Let's think now about how he responded to what Jesus was saying. See, the drama builds not just in Nicodemus coming at night, but in the, the dialogue that goes on between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, with all his great religious knowledge and understanding and prestige and image and status, 
has the rug pulled out from underneath his feet by Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That is a huge thing to say to anyone, especially to a key spiritual leader. You won't see God's kingdom unless you are born again. That is right in your face, isn't it? Not a polite way to speak to Nicodemus. And it looks as if Nicodemus doesn't really like what he hears. Now just pause for a moment. Maybe you feel that you have come a long way to be here this morning. Not necessarily geographically, but spiritually. You've perhaps run a gauntlet of ridicule. You've risked your reputation. You're prepared to listen to Jesus. And good, that's really encouraging that you've done that that you're prepared to face some challenge or opposition to say that you come and listen to Jesus. But I wonder whether this encounter with Nicodemus might show you, might show us, that there's still a distance to go. Nicodemus is baffled by what he hears. Look at what he says in verse 4. How can a man be born again when he's old? You see, this teaching about Entering the kingdom of God, having to be born again, tells us a huge amount about the real spiritual life that Nicodemus should have known. It's not about rules and regulations. It is about being born again into a new life. It's a supernatural work of God. It's not about having our name on a membership list for a church. It's not about whether we've been baptized or not, important as that is. I think John is not directly talking about baptism here, but it's saying if we're to be part of the people of God, if we're to be part of the kingdom of God, if we're to have spiritual life, then we need to have experienced the new life that God alone can give to us. And there'll come a point when we come and ask God for that new life, and He is the one who supernaturally can give it to us. Have a look at verse 5, a little bit further on in the dialogue. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. I don't think John is talking directly about baptism here. Uh, We look back at it thinking, oh yes, he must have been talking about baptism, talking about water. But I think what he's talking about here is the fact that right through the history of the Old Testament people, They have experienced new life by a supernatural rescue of God, often through water or from water, and always by God's Spirit, by God's presence, by God's power at work in their lives. Think of these few examples. Think of Moses. We know that he was put into a basket in a river to escape his death as a baby and was plucked out of the river, out of the water, by Pharaoh's daughter and a slave girl, rescued from death by the saving power of God. Think of the people of Israel. We know that they were rescued by God from Egypt. They passed through the water, through the Red Sea, rescued from death by the saving power of God. Think of the people of Israel, rescued through the desert by water from the rock and guided by God's Spirit, by the pillar of fire and the cloud that went with them. Have again a look at verse 5. Jesus said, 
I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of water and the Spirit. No surprise, I don't think, that Jesus says that here. To Nicodemus, who should have understood what spiritual life was about, he says, it's not about teaching or rules or regulation. It's about being given new life, new birth by the sovereign God who rescues people. And so the same is true for us today. We need to be rescued from death by the sovereign goodness of God. And so the water of baptism becomes that outward and visible symbol as we are washed clean of the inward and invisible work that God does in our lives. Now, if all that leaves you thinking, I've got questions about that, and I'm feeling a bit awkward about that, uh, do I need to be baptized? Do I need to be born again? I thought I was doing all right. I thought I was listening to Jesus. Well, you may be in a similar position to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was not just baffled. I think we'll see in verse 4 that he was also affronted by it. It was a, a knock-up against his own pride. He thought he had everything sorted. Look at verse 4, where he says, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. It's an image you don't want to think about for too long. Uh, uh, and I think Nicodemus at this point is scorning Jesus. It's just not possible. You can't do that. It's outrageous to suggest that. And there are a number of people who will find the truths about Jesus, challenging truths, maybe that will cause affront, maybe that will just cause bafflement. They will make people think, can this really be true? Do I need to be born again? Do I need to be forgiven? Do I need God's rescue in my life? And the wonderful truth is that when we accept that and ask for that, God in his grace, God in his mercy, is able to give us new life that only he can give. And we discover the wonder of new birth. Now, I know that there are a number of people here waiting for a new baby to be born, and some have recently celebrating new birth, and others have become grandparents. Great celebrations, not just for them, for the parents, for the family, but for all of us as we celebrate new birth. And it is great, isn't it, to be able to see the photo and celebrate together when the birth takes place. See that child carefully wrapped and doing well. And when somebody becomes a believer, a new birth takes place. Somebody is born again by God's grace. There is rightly a great celebration, isn't there? We may not know the exact time that that second new birth took place, but we can still celebrate it. Someone has experienced and discovered the forgiveness of the Almighty God. That is amazing, isn't it? Someone knows now that they are part of the family of God forever, knowing the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. That is wonderful, isn't it? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The new life that only God can give, the new life that God promises to give when we come to him. Now that life may not change overnight, but there will be a newfound desire to honor God, to turn away from what's wrong and to choose what is good and right. The baby, the new believer, breathes and demands food. The new believer begins to pray and listen to God's word and chooses to follow Jesus. 
So a great celebration when God does that. And I guess as we're thinking about this morning, if you're somebody who has already experienced that new birth, then doesn't that stir within you a desire to thank God and praise Him afresh? We've already sung in our songs just some of our response to that, our thankfulness that we've been washed clean, forgiven, born again, that we can be light in our world because Jesus is shining in us. All these are things that come from this new birth that Jesus is speaking about. And I think this phrase, born again, is the second word that I put into the, the word laundry. We often, when we hear born again, we think of uh, people who are either extreme or crazy or from a particular, particular part of the Christian faith today. But Jesus says that's all of us. It's for everyone. It's a word that needs to be reclaimed. Each of us, if we're following Jesus today, are people who have been born again. If we want to follow Jesus today, then we need to be born again. And Jesus speaks in such exclusive words here, doesn't he? And elsewhere, in each of the other Gospels. He says, if we want to follow him, if anyone wants to follow him, then they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. That's what Jesus says in Mark's Gospel. Or in Luke's gospel, he says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way that we can gain eternal life. Jesus speaks in exclusive ways about this new birth. And it will either warm our heart and thrill us, if we know it's to be true. Or it may baffle us with questions, in which case, keep asking them. Or it may cause us to be affronted, in which case we may need to humble ourselves and say, is that really what I need to do? Sometimes, this exclusive teaching about Jesus is something that I, even I, as a vicar, struggle with and question. And somebody gave me this really helpful advice when you're facing questions about this. He said the first thing to do is to look in the mirror, literally, to look in the mirror and say, am I a helpless sinner in the need of God's grace? Am I somebody who needs God's forgiveness? And the answer is, as I look in the mirror, yes, of course I do. And then a second question, am I fundamentally different from everybody else on the planet. And although I may look different, actually, of course, I'm in exactly the same situation, needing God's forgiveness. And then the third question was this, if it's true for me, then it's true for them. Will I get on with confidence and tell them the same truth that has brought me new life? I think if we face up to that and recognize that, when we know that Jesus is the ultimate must-have for 2020. He is the only one who can bring us eternal life. He is the one who can bring us eternal life. And so why don't we come to him with either hearts full of praise or that question, Lord, will you help me receive that new life this year? Nicodemus, as we've said, is on a journey, and I'd like you just to flick through to see where he appears uh, later in John's Gospel. It's fascinating. Here is Nicodemus at the beginning with questions, perhaps scorning Jesus and baffled by what Jesus says. Maybe that echoes something of some people's response today. I'm not sure. I don't understand. I don't know that that's necessarily for me. 
Have a look ahead to page 1073, John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 50. I'll, I'll read it if you don't want to turn to it. But John chapter 7 and verse 50, Nicodemus appears again. When Jesus is again in conflict with the Pharisees, but this time publicly. And in verse 50, we read this. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? At this point, Nicodemus is ready to stand up in public and say, wait a minute, our law says we ought to listen to him. Surely he deserves that. It's interesting, isn't it? From coming in the nighttime, Nicodemus is now ready to come out in the daytime and actually publicly to confront the others and say, don't just write him off straight away. Listen to him and see what he says. Then turn on to John chapter 19. Again, another fascinating insight that John, the apostle, John the gospel writer has put in. This comes after Jesus' crucifixion. John chapter 19 and verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea and Pilate asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who'd earlier brought, visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Nicodemus at this stage, ready to honor Jesus in his death, to give him the burial fit for a king, and I think at this stage, Nicodemus has recognized that he wants to honor Jesus as king. I don't think he knew that actually for us, Nicodemus and Joseph were preparing the evidence for the resurrection because it was clear that two had buried him. It was clear when the tomb was empty that something miraculous had happened. I think in God's grace, that's a gift for us to help us believe in Jesus' resurrection. But Nicodemus has moved from somebody coming to Jesus with bafflement and perhaps being affronted in the dark. He's ready to stand up in public, and now at Jesus' death, he's ready to honor Jesus as king. Isn't that great? A journey. And maybe that's something of a journey that we have been on or that we are recognizing we're on today, of recognizing more and more clearly who Jesus is. Let's come back to John 3, just to the end of the passage that we read. A fascinating final word on this from Jesus in verse 14 and 15. If we really want to understand how the new life comes about. Here's another window into it. Jesus finishes here with a, what seems like a strange story, but it makes a key point to Nicodemus and also to us. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It goes back to a time in Exodus when the people of Israel had come under God's judgment, rightly come under God's judgment, and God had sent among them poisonous snakes, and the people were dying from these snake bites. It was an awful time. But God, in his grace, sent a solution. Moses, God's leader, lifted up a, a snake on a stick, a strange thing to do, but said that if people looked to the snake, then they would be healed. 
they looked at the snake, the cause of the sickness, God gave healing to them. It was a strange and wonderful event recorded back in Exodus, an event in the history of the people of God that they knew. But it prepared for an even greater healing, an even greater and more wonderful and miraculous healing. Jesus would take on himself our sin. Jesus would identify with us and be lifted up. And if we look to him, if we believe in him, then we will be healed. Jesus gives Nicodemus words which perhaps helped him as this great Pharisee to understand what he'd been missing, to see what he'd been blind to, and to discover that it wasn't about the rules and regulations he followed. It wasn't about what he looked like on the outside. It was about whether he had been born again. I'm intrigued as to what happened to Nicodemus after John chapter 19. We don't know. He doesn't appear, as far as I can discover, anywhere else. But I know that he went on that journey, and as he comes again and again in John's gospel, I think John puts him there, so that in some ways we can identify with him. Coming with questions, beginning to understand, coming to honor Jesus as king, and then leaving us with this question, will we be people ready to accept Jesus' offer of new life? How will we respond? Today, many of us will come with thankfulness, so grateful that God in his mercy has forgiven us. And that is surely a must-have response for 2020. Just praise from the bottom of our hearts for God's forgiveness, a readiness to sing that song of salvation again and again. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. But maybe we come with questions, in which case, keep pushing those questions. Maybe that you're baffled by what you hear, or maybe you're even affronted by what you hear. Don't give up. Listen to Jesus' words that even though we don't understand how the Spirit of God works, it's a bit like the wind, we don't always understand it. Actually, we can discover God's life-saving power, God's rescue. So if you're in that place today, why not have a word with Neil afterwards about Life Explored or ask your questions to somebody you've come with. Don't give up. But maybe for many of us here, these verses are an encouragement for us to respond with worship, with praise, with thankfulness. Why don't we stand together and I'll lead in a prayer and then we'll do that. We'll respond in worship. Jesus said, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Our Lord, we don't want to be surprised today we want to understand, and so we pray that where we have questions, you will show us truth, show us answers, help us to probe those questions in a way that will lead to truth, help us to really understand what it means that you were lifted up on the cross for us. Help us to understand that. And we pray, Lord God, that you will help us to respond with worship, that you are this loving, gracious, saving God. That where we were once lost in separation from you, you have plucked us out, you have rescued us, you have brought us to new life. May that stir wonder and worship in our lives. 
and a readiness to tell the story of your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, let's begin that response of worship now as we sing.